This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, back from vacation, which was much needed. Thank you, Rucker and Nathan, for filling in on Tuesday. Uh, for today, tonight, uh, for tonight's episode, off to a hot start, um, Rucker is not here with me, as he usually is, as he is boots on the ground in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament with Albert. Uh, but we have two new additions to the No Ceilings family, Stephen Gillespie and Maxwell Bombach. So it being their debut week, it felt appropriate to bring them on and kind of talk through some guys who, unfortunately, we may be seeing the last of in the college basketball world. But Maxwell, how's it going? It's going great. I'm really excited to be on as a uh, longtime listener to this show. Well, as, as long as it's been around. So I guess four <laughs> months, yeah, that counts as a long time in terms of the life cycle of the show. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm super glad to be on board. And I'm really excited to talk about these prospects with you because I think that there is a pretty wide range of variants on these guys still. And that's interesting considering that we might not get any larger of a sample in a lot of these scenarios. So I'm, I'm fired up for this one. Steven, welcome back. How are you doing? Oh, hey. Hey, man. It's, uh, it's glad to be back. You know, second time, uh, you know, stint on the show and uh, happy to be here with you. And Maxwell is a familiar face. You know, folks might know that we've done a little bit of work together. So this is it's pretty cool, man. I'm excited to be part of the No Ceilings team. Uh, I've been a day one since day one, pretty much. And uh, I'm excited to get going on today's show. Yeah, well, I know myself and everyone else was extremely excited to have you guys part of the team, but might as well just dive into these guys because we, we, we have a healthy list to go through today. And these are guys who, like I mentioned, we maybe not see any more of in the college basketball world. And part Sad. of that is, it is, it is. Uh, so some we may see sneak into the tournament uh, based on how how other tournaments go, but the team that I kind of wanted to start off with is North Carolina state and they're pretty much only two draftable prospects this year, but the most exciting, at least for me is Turquavion Smith, freshman guard, six four, one sixty. He's currently averaging 16.3 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2.1 assists, uh, 1.3 steals and uh, 39.8, 36.9 and 69.8 shooting splits. Smith is one of these freshmen who could be one of the likely or unlikely one and done prospects this year and has really exploded onto the scene with his explosive scoring outbursts. Steven, where are you at with Smith? I have him kind of in like this middle of the second round might even see him creep up a little bit on my board. It's weird that we're in this part of the season. I'm sure you guys will agree where, these guys are going to be out of our, our sight, so we have to do our due diligence to make sure that we can go back and watch these guys. You know, I talked about that with Rucker before, is that, you know, how do we make sure that we're adequately assessing guys and we don't fall victim to recency bias and just be like, okay, well, these guys are in front of our faces more often. Let's move them up on the board. And the last memory that we're going to have for Turquavion Smith is not necessarily the best one either. So keeping that in mind, we don't want to – I hate this expression because I'm a father of four, but I can't think of a better one. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater type thing, you know what I mean? So you don't want to just watch this last game. And we know that NBA front offices are going to look at this and be like, oh, you know, it's a, this is a conference tournament. And he just kind of was a no-show. But we got to remember how young this dude is how inexperienced he is, how much this wasn't really supposed to be the season where he's supposed to break out. So he's a little bit ahead of schedule, in my opinion. And he's just a lethal shooter. 
I love that. He's 6'4". He's got a frame that looks like it can support a little bit more functional muscle, and I think that he'll add that. Um, I don't know if he stays with North Carolina State. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see you know, what happens. I think he might should test and just see, get feedback from front offices moving forward. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with him, Tyler. Maxwell, did you have any expectations with Smith entering the season or what, what did he do? If not, what did he do to really kind of jump on your radar? I, I mean, he scored a lot of points. (laughs) Uh, I, to be honest, uh, Sebron was the first guy that kind of popped up uh, on that North Carolina state team. So when he started to really gain a lot of momentum and it's easy to forget, like the draft cycle is so up and down throughout the season that there was a point where a lot of people were talking about Sebron as an end of the first round guy. And I don't think you hear like a peep of that anymore. Um, so when I first started turning to North Carolina state, it was primarily focused on Darian Sebron. Um, Smith stood out to me a little bit early on, but it wasn't until he really started to have those big scoring performances later in the year. Uh, that he really kind of captured my attention. I think the hard part, like the tricky place that he's going to find himself in. And I I agree with Steven hundred percent. I think he should test 1000%. But watching that game, I I really kind of wanted him to go back to school and I'll kind of touch on why real quick here. I, so he's six, four, and I believe he's like one sixty five. Yeah. This is listed weight right now. And there's games where he'll do like, real combo guard stuff and he'll be passing the ball while he'll be seeing the court and at the start of that game was it yesterday or two days ago uh he I think threw, yesterday right yesterday yeah he threw like one of the worst passes at the start of the game i've seen this whole draft cycle where it was at the top of the key and it was just like a slow chest pass and you could tell like the defender was 1000 percent going to pick it off even if you'd whip that thing it was going to get picked and he's a great athlete and he can shoot the cover off the ball. And between that, and I think the fact that he can gain size, to me, like if he goes back to school and just takes time to work on his point guard type skills and things like that, gain a little bit of size, I think he's going to be in a much safer position. Whereas if he goes out right now, it's just an undersized kind of combo guard, basically an undersized two, whose defense is really just predicated on I'm very fast. Um, that archetype, like there's a million guys like that. Like even this year, there's like Spagnola, there's Dasan, there's all these guys that are like six, three to six, four and can fill it up. And I, I just think that he has so much more potential than a lot of those guys. So I, I just want him to go back to school to actualize it a little bit more. So he doesn't end up in like the Tyrell Terry situation where he goes to a team that's trying to be competitive and he's not sticking right away. And now he's in developmental no man's land and nobody really has a stake in making him improve. So that's, that's where I'm at with him as of now. Yeah. And the, the tools are, I feel like are pretty obvious for me. It's the consistency and slowing the game down mentally, where you see a lot of mistakes that really young players make all the time. Um, I get a lot of Anthony Simons vibes from him and Simons has developed into a really, really good player, but that was a lot of commitment by the trailblazers. And we rarely see teams, invest that much time and resources into really slowly developing these guys because Simons was this bouncy athlete who had a lot of shooting potential, but his body wasn't NBA ready. And Smith's, I don't, I think he's way off from being NBA ready physically. And then when he, he, it feels like he sped up mentally a lot where you guys talked about the passing mistakes, the inconsistencies there. Sometimes the playmaking flashes are like, holy shit, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, it's this pass, like, holy shit, where did that come from? And then the (laughs) shot selection is the same thing. So it's, he feel, it feels like he's rushed a lot. Steven, is there anything that when you go back and kind of relook at some of his games between now and the draft, is there anything that, you're really going to try and keep an eye out for that could potentially sway your opinion of him one way or the other. Yeah. I think it's his, his ability or at least um, willingness to attack the basket. And I think, you know, one thing that we all can agree on, right. Is that the physical nature of the next level, especially for guards, right? Like everyone loves John Morant, rightfully. So he's one of the most explosive players in the NBA. Turquavion Smith is pretty athletic in his own right. Like I'm not saying he's the 1% or the 1% or anything like that, but what makes the special guy special is their ability to finish through contact right now 
we're not going to see that from Traquavion Smith. But if he continues to add that functional muscle, that will affect that field goal percentage that almost mirrors his three-point percentage just because that's the majority of his shot diet, right? Like, he he can't really get to the basket whenever he wants. Like, he has to look for certain opportunities. He has to find these certain windows and angles to attack the basket. What I want to go back and look at in particular is how much of his drives are opportunities that the other team are kind of just giving him as opposed to him maybe inserting his will. And I think, you know, adding that muscle mass could help him be a little bit more assertive and aggressive and round out his shot diet. Yeah, he is just not a threat when he's chased off the line. Like he he has a bit of a runner game, but on synergy, he's in the seventh percentile on shots around the basket. Yep. Um, so like, yeah, he's a great three point shooter, but if he needs to attack a closeout and teams are just running him off that line, I just don't, if the playmaking chops were like a little better, Mm -hmm. I could talk myself into it, but yeah, it's just like Tyler said, it's just going to take a team that's willing to be super, super patient. If it's going to work out for him, if he goes this year. Well, someone who does not struggle around the rim is his teammate, Darian Sebron, who, 6'7", 180 wing guard, I guess, uh, currently averaging 17.3 points per game, up from 5.2 last year, uh, 8.2 rebounds, 3.2 assists, uh, 49% from the f- 49% from the field, 25.5% from three, and 71% from the line. W- Maxwell, I, I want to start with you. Where, where are you at with Sebron? I am <laughs> in a complicated place to Sebron as well because I, I earlier in the season I was a lot more into him and I think it was just seeing like the jumper not really progress at all and the other thing that started to eat at me with him is I feel like if you're going to be that type of player I there's there's like inconsistencies that I feel like should not exist like I don't know how many total block shots he had this season but I don't think it's like more than five if I'm not mistaken, like so, I shots like, you're saying that he blocked, not that were blocked front. Like yeah, his yeah, shot yeah. Like shots being that blocked. he blocked. Okay. Like he, he had four blocks this year. Four blocks. Yeah. So like he's six seven, and like you see him in transition, like run and jump, and it's like awesome. And he has this awesome feel for the game on offense and everything like that. And then there's just not all that much there on the defensive end. And I feel like if you're going to be a non-shooter, I need that defense to be there at least out of the gate. Um, I do love that he rebounds so well because his transition game is so good. Like that is going to translate. And I, I love his feel for the game. I, if the, like the defense is the other thing that like the shots, the, the shots, a big one, if he could shoot, I'd feel fine about it, but I wish there was more defense there is, is my kind of main concern with him. There's no reason based on his physicality and feel for the game that he shouldn't get a few like help side blocks throughout the course of the season. There should be more than four of them based on his tools and savvy. Steven, where are you with Sebron? Because like you guys mentioned earlier, he he was getting first round buzz mm-hmm. about mid, mid, mid of the season. And he kind of just fell off the face of the earth because I think people realized what his game was and then didn't see it change a whole lot. So is that kind of where you're at with him? Yeah, well, I mean... Metcalf, if you remember when we did our, you know, drafting a college team to win tomorrow, I took Sebron in, in that yeah. draft and we forgot all about Jay Nivey. That was a fun episode. But um, <laughs> I loved him early on in the season and we were both describing him, you know, his ability to just kind of almost parallel the floor. Like he he will attack and like bend his body and contort himself. He has good, excellent, you know, uh, I think his core strength is top notch, right? Like he can do so much either you know with the with the ball in his hand on a live dribble or when he's up in the air and can kind of contort himself and shoot and use his body to shield the defender away and get up a shot um I agree a lot with what Maxwell is saying and and here's the thing when I look at a guy who right now at best I think could be a second round talent you're not going to be given the ball right so what can you do to help the team and right now Sebron is very much so like a I need the ball type of player um, he's not the best defender either. And we're talking about how slight of frame Terquavion Smith is. Like Darion Sebron is good at attacking the basket, right? But as a defender, mm-hmm. I don't know if being six foot seven and a you know a buck eighty is really gonna hold up very well at the next level on the perimeter, right? So if we got a guy who I don't think is gonna be very, you know, skillful without the ball in his hands, and I don't think is gonna be a top notch defender, 
at his size and his position, I don't necessarily know how how teams are going to be looking at him and being like, oh, you know, we need Darion Sebron. Now, if it's a bad team and they got time to wait, he could develop into a very unique player because I think at his size and his skill set, he can be a little bit stronger and improve on that jump shot in, in the defense. And the sky's the limit for like him being kind of like a weapon X on his team. Yeah. I, when we talk about the pluses with him, I, I think the, the rim pressure is the obvious one. That's the one that jumps off the mm-hmm. screen at you when you mm-hmm. watch him. And the way he turns the corners on his defenders almost kind of mirrors those like old uh, screenshots we would get of Von Miller with the Denver Broncos and the 45 degree angle that he would bend at getting around the offensive line. So like that balance, that flexibility is so impressive, but then you look at the shot and I mean, 17th percentile on all jump shots, 31st percentile shooting off the catch, 12th percentile shooting off the dribble. It's just not good enough. And it's not even on high volume where I mean, he's only taking one or he only took 1.3 three-point attempts per game this season. So it it's pretty obvious that he doesn't trust a shot. He knows he's not a good shooter. And as the season progr- progressed, I really think that we saw defenses realize that too and just kind of stop caring about it. And if you, your ability to really pressure the rim completely goes away if those defenders aren't respecting you on the perimeter. So Maxwell, is there anything – it kind of sounds like we all think he should return for another year and mm-hmm. hone that shot. If he does return for another year, is there anything besides just being a better shooter that he could do offensively to kind of take that next leap? Um, Maybe I think to Steven's point too, maybe even just like putting on some size might not be the worst thing. Cause I think like we mentioned, like you have to be so good to have yeah. the ball on an NBA team that even if he can get enough bulk, that maybe teams could talk themselves into like him as a short roll passer and say like, Oh, maybe we can have this guy run screens. And then if we're blitz, we dump it to him and things like that. Like that could be a potential NBA role that is low maintenance, but allows him to have the ball a decent amount if need be things like that. Um, yeah. I think even just like his dribble craft, because to your point, it did seem like early in the season, he was getting to the rim a lot easier. Like I have all these notes from earlier in the year about how like he has no problem getting to his spots and things like that. And then like more recent games, it's it's not as easy for him just because teams know to, to load up and, you know, where to force him. But I, I think the shooting, I think adding size and maybe even focusing on, yeah, like short roll passing, things like that. Just little ways to clean up his game and then add a little bit more dribble craft. But the shot is the big thing. The shot would make everything else a lot easier for him. If he can just find a way to play off the ball more consistently, that's that's the key. So l- let's just hypothetically say Sebron C- stays in the draft. He ends up going in the second round. Steven, what's the idealized version of him? If, if he reaches not the absolute outcome, because, you know, that for most players, that's an all-star, but, you know, just a likely outcome. What, what do you th- think that player looks like? I mean, I think the best version of Sebron as a rookie in the NBA, if he's contributing to a team in the second round, he's going to have to be something that we haven't really seen very much at, at North Carolina state. And he's got to be a good cutter and good slasher, right? Like he's got the body. He's got, he's got the athleticism, right? Like he, He's he can get up vertically. Right. So I think, you know, offensively learning how to move well without the ball, you know, North Carolina State. Uh, I'm, forgive me for forgetting the the young man's name, but their starting center, who is actually supposed to be pretty good this year, um, you know, that they, they missed him. So you know, Manny Bates, I believe. Is that? Yeah, I, I believe okay. you're right. Right. So um, they were without him and he's supposed to be pretty significant, you know, for that team. So playing alongside a big, especially one where in the NBA, it's pretty possible that he can play off of a, of a big, who's a good decision maker, right? You know, being a good cutter, good slasher, being excellent without the ball in your hand. And he's got to like sell out like completely on just being a, a pest on the defensive end, you know, however that looks like he's got to be a slasher and a defender and keep working on that three point shot, because that's, that's really what I want to see from him. If he's going to be in the NBA this year. Well, I, I think someone that we may all agree on that also needs to improve their defense is Bryce McGowan's freshman wing from Nebraska. 6'7", uh, 179, averaged 16.8 points, 5.2 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 
uh, 40% from the floor, 27% from the three, and 83% from the line. McGowan's was so frustrating for me. Um, he had an awesome <laughs> end to the season. Beginning of the season, I thought, was some of the worst basketball I've seen. Um, and as the season progressed, he improved a lot, I thought. Um, the outside shooting never really came around, like I think – or at least like I thought and hoped it would, but his shot selection slowly improved. And that's where we saw his scoring efficiency improve because he started attacking the rim more. Max. Well, where are you at with McGowan's? Do you think it's likely that he stays in the draft or do you think he would be better served returning for another yeah, so right now with McGowan's, um, I think he should go, but I think it, a lot of that's going to have to depend on what kind of feedback he gets. Um, to me right now, I think he could easily go end of the first. Um, I've got him right around that range, right around 30, I want to say. Um, I think a little higher than that after I just adjusted. Um, I'm a believer in the shot. I think that the outside shot's going to get there. I, and a lot of people are just like, oh, free throw percentage or whatever. And like, yeah, his free throw percentage is good. Uh, but to me, I think just his overall touch in the mid range is really beautiful. And I think that his ability to separate got a lot better as the season went along. I didn't love him as a separator early on in the year. And I think just his offensive footwork came a long way, but, uh, as you mentioned off the top, the defense can be, can be ugly. And it, it really eats me up when it's bad on the ball too. Cause it's like, if, if a guy falls asleep off the ball, it's like, I, you know, you're a high usage player on offense. I can forgive that a little bit, overlook it, but it's like, just have some pride. Like just do not let the guy that's right in front of you just eat your lunch. Um, so that, that's been frustrating for me, but I think, I think McGowan should go. I think a team is going to see a six, seven guy that has potential to shoot the three gets to the line like a madman and it's Nikaias Duncan just wrote drawing fouls is a skill. You don't have to like it, but it's a skill. Uh, I, I think he's a real NBA scorer. I think that everything is there on that. And the defense it's, it's a problem and it's something he's got to work out, but I I'm in on McGowan's I've got him like a late first round grade on him right now. And it, I, I also think that there's some Josh Christopher to the situation where like last year he had, a really low assist total, but he played with Alonzo Verge and uh, Bryce McGowan is also playing with Alonzo Verge. And uh, mm. I, I think that some, some guys may feel like they have to get theirs on a team with Alonzo Verge on it. So I'll leave so, it at that. Um, <laughs> very artfully done. But that's, no, but that's none of my business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, so McGowan's has been a little polarizing among the, the no ceilings group this season. Uh, Nathan Grubel has been pretty high on him all season long. Beating that uh, drum all uh, year. Love it. The rest I love of us have, I, I've been a little more hesitant back and forth. Others have been pretty much completely out. Steve, Stephen, where have you been with McGowan's? How has your view of him kind of progressed through the season? It's waxed and waned, dude. Like early on in the year, I believe in my 1.0, I had him as a late first. I think I've seen him fall all the way down to like 43 ish on my, on one of my recent boards, but now I have him back as a late first rounder. And I think it, it speaks to what we wanted to see from him early on and what we're actually seeing from him now, Uh, you know, looking a little bit through some of the inefficiencies. I, I think that's where Nathan was right. You know, he, he saw like, look, this is like a true blue freshman who is asked to do a lot on a poor team in a very competitive conference, right? Like it's very easy to forget about Bryce McGowan's in the conference that he plays in, right? So I think, you know, his his stick-to-itiveness, if that's a thing, you know, is, as far as understanding his role, understanding that it's not going to be pretty every night, but that's what the team is asking him to do, so he's going to do it. Again, he's another one of these guys that seems to be kind of the theme tonight is he's got the frame, he's a little, you know, he's a little, you know, light in the pants, and he's not leaving the best impression based off of his last game, right? So it's very interesting that that's been the common theme. But I don't know. Like, I just – I wasn't around, like, as far as scouting games in 09 when DeMar DeRozan was drafted. But I think I remember at least a little bit of the same concerns about DeMar DeRozan coming out of the draft applying to Bryce McGowan's. And if you consider the fact that, like, He's good at attacking the basket. He draws fouls. He's got good touch. 
you know, for mid range, his three point shot isn't there. He's a, he's a little undersized and he's not a good defender. That sounds like young DeMar DeRozan to me. And look at what he's doing now. I think a team could easily parallel the the you know professional trajectory of both of those players. I'm not saying that he will, right? But there's a lot of similarities between those two players, and he he's the go to guy on his team, and he more times than not he delivers. And I think that I'm starting to fall back into the understanding of yeah, Bryce McGowan's is a first round talent in in this draft because of you know the improving in season is a big thing for me as a talent evaluator. Like if you recognize that like these are my weaknesses and I can improve them in season, like that's really difficult to do. He's a worker. I don't bet against workers. And and that's where I'm kind of at with McGowan's. My biggest frustration with McGowan's earlier, like I said, was the shot selection and he would just way too eager to chuck from anywhere. And yeah, that, it, it's still there later in the season, but it, it definitely improved. And his determination and intentionality of attacking the rim got a lot better. And that's where we saw more of that kind of sneaky vertical pop and that touch in the mid range. But what worries me is how little kind of off ball movement we saw from him um, when he ran and he only ran off screens 5.3% of the time and was in the 33rd percentile scoring in those situations, a lot of that stems from the shooting struggles we kind of talked about earlier. I think most of us think that will improve uh, long term, especially as yeah, the shot stronger. looks, the mechanics, and you know, I know that you like to say this all the time, Mega. Like, I'm not a shot doctor, but I right. play one today on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the shot looks fine. Like, it does. There's nothing like fundamentally glaring about his shot. I think that that can improve over time, and it might take as long as it took Demar Derozan in San Antonio, right? Like. Eventually, it got there. So, Maxwell, since mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, you, it's really hard to get the ball in the NBA. You have to be so yeah. good. The threshold is so extremely high. So, if mm-hmm. McGowan's is, if the shot isn't falling early and it's taking some time and he's not yeah. physically ready to kind of be that dominant ball handler, what is he early in his career? That's a great question. Uh, he might not be in the league for long. It, it, like, and like people don't like to say that, but it's true. Like, everyone is always like, this guy's floor is a rotation player. It's like most guys' floor is out of the league. It's really hard to stay in the yeah. NBA. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I think when we say that, a lot of times people will be like, oh, like you hate this player. Like you want them to fail or you're being too pessimistic. And it's like, no, like it's, it's just, you have to be phenomenal to play in the NBA. I, I think it could get really dicey for him. I, I, but to be honest, I, I just think, the scoring package is almost too good for that to happen. And, and maybe I'm being naive um, because there are a lot of guys that score a lot of points at college that, that don't pan out in the NBA. Um, but I think he's going to have a few buffers. I think one of them is going to be his size. I think if he decides to commit on defense, just the fact that he's bigger is going to give him more leash than a lot of other players. Um, I think that when he gets into an NBA weight room, his finishing is going to get better too. Um, so I, I just really by the scoring enough but if it if the shot isn't falling yeah i think i think he's gonna have a really hard time and i think it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being a a quote-unquote second draft type of player if he you know really has a hard time out of the gate doesn't get minutes is kind of bouncing around uh doesn't get an option picked up or things like that i i do think he's gonna figure it out but it wouldn't shock me if it takes him longer than some other guys just because scoring in the nba is obscenely difficult and if that's your thing uh you you've got to be really good at it well, I, I gave you the pessimistic view, and Stephen, I'll, I'll send the, the optimistic view over to you. you you've mentioned DeMar DeRozan a couple times. If McGowan's really does improve his body, um, I think he has a frame for it. I think he can easily put on a good amount of muscle. And the outside shot improves, but not, you know, 40% improves, but like mid-30s. Is DeRozan, do you think, his peak outcome? Do you think better, worse? Where are you at with kind of like his his best outcome? I mean, probably like a DeMar DeRozan light, you know, probably somewhere between like an, an Evan Turner and DeMar DeRozan is what I could probably see the the best outcome for McGowan's being right. But, you know, part of no ceilings, you, you don't like to think about like this is is only good as you can get. And it's really weird, right? Like player comps, you're only talking about seeing shades of because each player really is pretty unique because we we tried to do it all year long right like this guy is this guy well no he's not because Mm -hmm. of this right so i think probably somewhere between 
and, and Evan Turner and a DeMar DeRozan as far as productivity, you know, um, shot diet, thing, you know, what's asked of them on a night-to-night basis. I think that somewhere in that window is what I would expect. Well, I, I, I don't have a smooth transition for this one, but this is a guy who I, I shoehorned into this conversation because I, I irrationally love him. Um, Taron Armstrong, 6'5 yeah. point guard, 185 pounds. 85 pounds from Cal Baptist. Um, I, I absolutely adore him. Uh, I, I don't think he probably goes out, but I think he's pretty easily the best playmaker in this class. And some of the passing angles and his passing vision and accuracy and variety are absolutely absurd, especially for a, a freshman. Um, Maxwell, when I threw his name out, you got a little excited. Um, mm-hmm. wh- wh- where are you at with Armstrong? Yeah, I, to me, he's a returner, but he's one of my favorite returners. Uh, like when you mentioned him, I was like, all right, I'm I'm watching a Cal Baptist <laughs> game ASAP. Like I was so excited to just like have the excuse to do it again. Uh, the man's a wizard with the ball. Like there's just so few guys that have that special passing talent. And all of the guys I missed on in the last draft cycle were high field players. Like I was lower on Jeremiah Robinson Earl than I should have been, lower on Delano Bent than I should have been lower on turning Watford than I should have been. And I still had Watford higher than other people did. Like those are the guys I missed on. Like, I think in this day and age, if you have that type of high feel and you have a decent amount of size, uh, you can, you can stick. Um, I, you know, obviously the, the outside shots got to get a little bit better. Um, and I, he's not so big that, you know what I mean? That it's like a guaranteed thing, but he's not small either. And I think that no. the, the length and size is going to go a long way to help him out on defense in the long run. Um, one thing I kind of want to throw back to you real quick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bit, I'm big on the transfer portal. I think a lot of guys will benefit from being able to transfer. And like, I hate this because I love the mid majors, but there's so many mid major guys. Where I'm like, I'd love to just see you at a bigger school for a year. How would you feel if instead of transferring up, if he went to the NBL and did next stars for a year? I wouldn't hate or do it. Do you think that's too dangerous? Because then if it doesn't pan out, is he just like stuck there forever? Uh, well, I mean, he's from there, so I don't think that would necessarily mm-hmm. be worst case scenario. Yeah, oh, no, him. not at all. Um, and it, it's tough because I, I think and the, the level of competition argument always comes into play, especially at a school like Cal Baptist. Uh, when you watch his playmaking, I think that argument pretty much goes out the window because the passes he's making are – I think competition proof. Um, the well, scoring he did is, that against like schools like Texas too. Like in games against right. big schools, he he had phenomenal passing games. So right, and and people will go up and or go look up his stats, and the assist numbers aren't like shocking. But assist is a two person stat. You have to have someone make the shot, and Cal Baptist where assist like, percentage comes in <laughs> exactly. So I I wouldn't hate it if he went to the NBL, I, I think it would kind of show that he can do this against adults and more physical players and higher level athletes on a more consistent basis. Uh, I would be kind of surprised since his brother's on the team as well. So I, yeah. I kind of feel like they're a package deal. Those things kind of seem to work out that way. Um, but I, it's just such a bummer that the scoring hasn't come along. He's had a handful of 20 point games, but he's in the 19th percentile in overall points per game. And I, if that scoring never improves, I struggle to see an NBA team taking a shot on him. So Steven, I I think we all agree that he likely comes back. I, even though I think the feel and the playmaking are really special, but what would you need to see from uh, Armstrong to, to really make it um, or to, to make it viable that he makes that jump? He needs something else on offense that he can do at a at a consistent level, right? And with it being Cal Baptist and he being like the 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 heliocentric player on his team, right? Everything is gonna go through him. He he's the hub on that team. But what's gonna happen at the next level is that sure he can make crazy passes, but what else can you do? Like NBA teams are gonna be real quick to figure him out. And even Giddy, right? Like I think that we under we underestimated one how high his position is such a benefit, you know, a benefit to his, you know, um, production. But two, just he's such a creative, you know, um, finisher around the basket. Even though that he's not necessarily the strongest guy, he he understands angles and body positioning, things of that nature. 
I don't think that Taron Armstrong is there. And he's 6'5", which is pretty significant, right? Because in, in a lot of coaches' heads, that means that you can play either backcourt position, right? So he he's not an explosive athlete or anything like that, but he plays the game with tremendous feel, like as Maxwell has been saying. I would just love it if he could be some sort of a threat as a scorer, right? And how much of that is the fact that he's playing alongside other teammates at Cal Baptist or how much of it is that he's just a great passer and that's essentially it, right? Like, I think that if there was anything else to his game, like maybe Cal Baptist wouldn't have been the only, you know, option for him, you know? So there's a lot of things to consider. I love the fact that he already has an elite skill in playmaking, but He's got a he's got a couple of that with something. It's hard to make it with passing really being the only thing that you're a threat to do. So this may be kind of like a silly observation to make, but does the fact that his brother is like a really prolific three point shooter help you buy the shot at all? Like even like not even just from like a their brother, so he'll also be good. <laughs> like, but like the fact that it's like maybe his brother, like his brother takes a ton of threes and hits them yeah. like thirty seven percent or something along those lines. So like it can't hurt to have somebody around that, you know, figured out how to shoot. Like, I, I don't think he's going to shoot this poorly again next season. I like, I do anticipate the jump in scoring. I think it's just always going to be hard when you're at a Cal Baptist to kind of capture everybody's attention. And like, that's, I think the, the success of players like Giddy and Lamelo in the NBL as high field players, even like, granted he's not playing that well until recently but like a guy like usman jiang where it's like he's putting up really inefficient shooting percentages but he's still playing a lot for the breakers because he is pretty high feel and can move the ball when need be and granted he's 610 uh but just having that ability to just like move the ball and make good decisions can can really go a long way in that league and like i i don't know if that's on the table i know his brother's a cal baptist but i the more i think about it the more i I feel like that might be the move for him. I think that it's a good, I think it's a good call, you know, to, to maybe go to the NBL. But again, every concern that I had with Giddy, I think the height covers a lot of mistakes, right? Like it's, it's, it's makeup on a pig it's lipstick on a pig. You know what I mean? It looks a little, little bit better. Um, six foot five though, again, it's not earth shattering point guard size. And, and I think that that's kind of where I'm at. That might be a lazy take, but the three point shooting has to come around. Like something else on the offensive end has to be there. And maybe you're right. Maybe the three point shot does improve, but what do we see with all those other guys competing in the NBL is like their percentages weren't necessarily sexy when they were, were in that league either. So it's kind of like danged if you do almost in my opinion. True. Well, I, I, I think that's enough, Taron Armstrong. Despite my ability oh, to talk on. about him oh. all day, I know, I know. We, we what's, have to what's the biggest thing you want to see from him? Just real quick. Yeah, what's the high end outcome, Mister Metcalf, of Taron Armstrong? Um, if he's if he's drafted in the second round, a team takes a chance on him, yeah. and he's succeeding in the NBA. What's what's that look like? Ricky Rubio. Um, when Ricky was younger, I think he was a better defender than Taron because uh, I think mm-hmm. he was a little quicker. Um. But I, I generally like Armstrong's defensive footwork. I think he's a decent off-ball defender, but he's not very quick twitchy. Um, I believe that's a word or term at least. Um, so so they'll get they'll get exposed some um, offensively. And I, I think he has decent touch around the rim. He's in the 59th percentile on runners, 59th percentile around the basket and non post-ups. So I think there's a little there to work with. I think that footwork that we see on defense also translates to offense and his ability to get to the rim. Um, and I think he's a really, really good ball handler, which kind of shows up in him being in the 84th percentile in isolation scoring. It's just a shot. And against NBA level defenders and athletes, that's where that kind of stuff goes away because he doesn't quite have the craft to really compensate for the lack of explosiveness or twitchiness. So I, I think a little more flexibility in that realm, obviously the shot improving would do wonders. Um, but you know, there aren't a ton of indicators there that are like, Oh yeah, it's going to take a jump. Like there are with McGowan's and we all think that McGowan's will eventually make that jump. I think the indicators for Armstrong are a little fuzzier. So defensively, I think he's fine. The playmaking, I think, is in a tier of itself. Um, 
in college this year. And then it's just that, that shot. And if that can really come around and if he can get a little twitchier or a little more flexible in his on-ball creation, that alone I think would do wonders for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope we see it. And I've been like you, man. Like I've I've had draftable grades on him up until like pretty much yesterday. But I mean, again, that can change my my opinions on players have changed all season long. But I've wanted Taron Armstrong to be a thing in this draft, just like you, man. Well, I, I I'm holding firm that he will be a thing eventually in the NBA because that 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 feel that playmaking it's it's too hard to pass up. Here's to the um, NBL, Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another guy who ha- who I think has extremely high feel is Harrison Ingram, who is mm. 6'8", 230-pound forward from Stanford, uh, 10.4 points, 6.7 re- rebounds, three assists. Ingram is one of those guys that I've really struggled with because I know a lot of draft Twitter especially loves him and has him as a top 20 guy. I can't get around to that. The production just isn't there for me. But I get the feel. I see the instincts, the understanding of how to play, and that's typically huge for me. So, Maxwell, where where are you at with Ingram? Have you had as much trouble kind of yeah him down? He's like one of probably like if you, if I were to name like my top three hardest guys to evaluate, he's unquestionably in that group for me. Um, and like I just mentioned earlier, all the guys I missed on last year were guys who were like six eight and above high field players. So I watch Ingram and I'm like, I don't see it. Then I'm like. That's everybody I was wrong about last year. So it's it's been really hard for me to try and, and suss his game out. And I don't think Stanford is like an ideal situation, but I don't think it's terrible either. Like, I don't know. You watch some of their games and like Angel's another guy with some size who so can shoot a little bit. Like he's got decent teammates. Like I I feel like I, I try to make excuses for him at times when like he's six, eight and he's got a bunch of size and he's horrible finishing around the basket. Like there's just some real, real scoring issues. And I think that's all stuff that can be worked out in time. So I really, like he's got the keys to the, the offense at Stanford. So for me personally, I want to just see him go back and just work on that scoring a little bit because everything else is there. The feel is there. I think he kind of played himself into shape. I had some real concerns about the foot speed early in the season. And I think that got a lot better as the year went along. Um, But I I just really worry about his ability to put the ball in the basket. And it's not even just as an off ball shooter. It's everywhere on the floor. Like you should not have such bad at the room numbers. It's the six, eight dude with his size and strength. So Steven, I I'm the general manager. I haven't seen a second of Ingram play. So I have no idea what he is as a player. All I'm seeing is, okay box score numbers i'm seeing him in the 30th percentile in overall points per possession and 31st percentile on all jump shots and 26th percentile in points per possession around the rim and non-post-up situations and you're coming to me to convince me to draft harrison ingram give me the elevator pitch on him what why should i well first off congratulations on the new job thank you uh secondly um where am i where am I drafting him? Am I just telling you that he's a top 60 or excuse me, 58 player this year? Uh, back into the first. Back into the first. Okay. So here's the thing. To 30. Okay. I, I can do that because that's where I've had him living for a little while. So six, eight forward with a little bit of guard skills, um, high feel the, the height. We have a track record now in the NBA of guys with high feel at his size, being able to, translate significantly well if not better than the expectations coming in right so we understand that he's going to make the correct reads he's a trustworthy player you're you're going to be able to put put him on the floor and he's going to make really good decisions he's not going to make a mistake on the offensive end defensively his his defense is actually a little bit better than being advertised I don't think that people talk about his defense at all where I do think that it's it's not a net negative has the potential to be a positive on 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 a team right He's a guy that you can put at multiple positions. He's very scalable. I think that you can give him minutes at the, depending on the team, you can maybe put him in situations where he's like kind of just an off ball guy, second side creator. You can put him on the, on the elbow and, and trust people to run actions around him. And he's going to find the open guy. He's going to rebound tremendously. Well, he's going to make great reads and transition. And he has the potential for that shot to come around, right? Like, 
I'm a firm believer in guys where you say, if you add a shot, it takes you to a next level. We already trust him as a decision maker. We trust him as a competitor, as a rebounder. He's playing on a really bad team where he is the hub on that offense. There's really not a lot of other great finishers or shooters around him. And they had a chance to make the tournament this year. Look at the success that Zaire Williams on this very same team had a terrible season, goes into the NBA and is a tremendous, or I won't say tremendous, is definitely a better prospect than anyone would have ever thought except me. Um, And I think that Harrison Ingram is going to translate very well at the next level with the potential to be up to a fourth to fifth starter on a team. All right. Role playing over. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of sound a little hypocritical here because I just said that I've been struggling to buy into Ingram, but when I think about his game, it kind of reminds me a lot of Jeremy Sohan, who has gotten way more love, especially in the draft community where there are these big forwards, high feel can do a bit of everything and just aren't these prolific shooters. So Maxwell, you, you kind of raise your eyebrows there. What separates them so much for you? Yeah. Uh, first off, sorry, my daughter's crying in the background. So you may hear her oh, a little bit. It's, uh, but I, I just want to say uh, the big difference to me, like one is just overall athleticism and fluidity um, and leaping ability uh, in that Jeremy Sohan is able to leap. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That was really cruel. Um, but I, I, I he's think only Jeremy slightly Sohan, joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Jeremy Sohan, he's just a much better athlete. Like I, I would never trust Harrison Ingram to be a like the main rim protector on the floor at any point in time. Where I think we've seen Baylor kind of have to use these small ball lineups recently with Suhan at the five, and they've gotten away with it. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I think just his. I think their feel is very similar. I think Suhan's just worlds ahead of him as a defender right now. Um, that That's the big thing to me, just overall defense and athleticism. Steven, same boat for you. It, it sounded like you you have Ingram around the first round. Yeah, I recently just slid him to very, like, the tippy top of my second round. And, um, again, that could change um, as as I dive into more players. Um I, I'm I'm with Maxwell. I think that the the rim pressure too, right? Like as good as a ball handler and passers uh, Ingram is, he doesn't have the athleticism really to apply too much pressure on the other team. Where Sohan, that's kind of like a sneaky part of his whole thing, right? Is that you look at him and he's like, okay, we we know that we're getting a good shooter. He's very scalable and might have a little bit of a tiny little bit of a bag on on the offensive end as well as, as kind of like a uh, like mid post creator type type player right so um that that's kind of the difference that i see with those two guys as well well a, a, another kind of forward who's at, at least i think is really scalable can do a lot of everything and has done it on a much more consistent basis this year is Jake Laravia from Wake Forest 68235 pounds uh averaging Average 15.1 points, 6.6 rebounds, 3.1 assists, uh, 56.8% from the floor, 40% from three, and 77% from the line. Steven, with LaRavia, is he legitimately one of these kind of do-it-all forwards in the NBA, or is he just going to be one of these guys who is an awesome college player? It's tricky. Um, I want to first off say I don't think that he is going to be a do-it-all NBA level sure. forward. But what I think that he does in college, he does have a couple of tools that will translate very well to the next level. So if I'm allowed to cheat and not necessarily answer your question, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I think that he's a really good college player that the the best parts of his game do translate well to the NBA. Um, you know, I did some uh, clips of Jake LaRavia for the tournament for No Ceilings. And one of the things I really wanted to emphasize was his improvements as a defender as the season has gone on. You go back and you watch the film against Duke. Paolo Boncaro and Trevor Keels did not want to shoot over Jake LaRavia. Not to mention the fact that he is an efficient scorer from pretty much every level on the floor. He's a good rebounder and he's a pretty darn good decision maker as a passer. The fact that two automatic first round one automatic first round guy, another guy who's got his first round stock in question, but I would take him in the first and Trevor kills 
Neither one of those dudes wanted anything to do with Jake LaRavia on the second end. So if you're telling me that I can draft a guy potentially late first to mid second, somewhere in that window, I think is where most, most folks would have him. If you get a guy who you can knock down threes, who's a smart player, who can also defend at a decent level and is about six, eight, six, nine, like what, what's not to love, you know? Maxwell, when you, when you watch Laravia's film, what gets you excited about his game? Yeah, it's it's the offensive feel, the shooting, and the defense. And the defense is kind of just like an understated thing, and, and I don't know why that is. Uh, he's exceptional with getting into passing lanes, and on the ball, he, he just does a really nice job. He's not a blow-away athlete, but his, his footwork is very sound. Uh, he's very proficient. He does a phenomenal job of contesting without really getting into foul trouble. Um, he's, he's just very, very smooth, uh, on that side of the ball. I, I like what he does there a lot. Um, offensively, I think the shot is real. He doesn't take a ton of threes per game and he has had a big percentage jump. Uh, I, I buy it. I think it looks really good. Um, my one kind of hang up with him. So I have him early second, which I think is higher than a lot of people do. I, when guys pull out, he might slip into the first for me potentially, uh, my one area of concern for him is he is a really good passer. And I love, I love passing. I think if you look at the last several NBA championship teams, you don't really find guys that played major minutes that are below average passers for their position. Um, I think it's a just critical skill to, to contribute to winning basketball. Um, I like him as a passer, but a lot of the passing he does is sort of out of these face up back down kind of scenarios where he's putting it on the floor a little bit. He's taking his time. Um, I don't know that he can't do it, but I wish we got to see more like 0.5 style decision-making from him. If like he got the ball, he moved it to the right place really quickly. Um, so that's kind of like my one little hang up with him. Um, but I, I'm comfortable buying it based on the fact that we have seen the rest of his passing arsenal. So the passing, the shooting, the defense, those are all the things I look for in a role player in the modern NBA. Steven, do you have any hangups or hesitations with LaRavia or is the guy that we're kind of seeing pretty much who we, who you think he'll be? I'm worried about him creating um, at the next level if he's asked to, right? Because we, we've talked about this, you know, before Metcalf, you know, Maxwell, we talked about it on our show too, is it's not good enough just to be a three and D guy. You got to be able to be trusted to make the right decision. I don't know if he's going to be one of these guys where he's only asked to, you know, dribble dribble pass or dribble dribble shoot on under very aggressive closeout because if he makes if he gets spooked you know on an aggressive closeout and turns the ball over there you go you know and if he doesn't defend at a solid level you know if he's going to be one of these guys in the second round late even maybe late first depending on the team that he's on you can't get played off the floor defensively as a wing he's got the size he's got the weight he's got the he's got the you know what it takes upstairs I'm just worried about athletically how it translates at the next level and really what position he'll play. You know, is he going to be just kind of a runoff screens too? Is he going to be a toolsy kind of two, three, four type guy? I think that teams can really get creative with him. I'm worried about him going to a team that's not necessarily known for doing that and putting him in a role where he's asked to maybe do a little bit more than what, than I would as a, which is again, you know, a kind of a three and D guy is, is really what I would have Laravia as because his athleticism probably isn't like above average for his position either. Well, someone who I don't think is going to have any trouble creating offense uh, is his teammate, Alondis Williams, six, five, 210 10 pound point guard who saw just an absurd statistical leap this year. Um, after transferring from Oklahoma to Wake Forest, uh, he on the year he averaged 19.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.2 steals, but 3.7 turnovers, which is a little concerning. Um, but I think Williams is kind of the only guy in this draft class who could rival Armstrong in terms of playmaking. So Maxwell, what what gets you excited about Williams tr- translating to the NBA? Um. The fact that he is able to get into the paint, it will um, beyond anything else. Uh, we know that paint touches are a very valuable thing. Um, and he's really good at generating them. He's 
strong. He's got good footwork. He knows how to put it on the floor and he's a real threat to pass and he can really freeze defenses. The, the percentage of shots he takes at the rim is absurd. Um, that more than anything else. I think the passing, I go up and down with the passing. Cause I think he, he can get like you mentioned the turnovers. He can get a little bit out of control at times. I do think a portion of that at the very least is the fact that wake forest lacks a lot of other offensive creation. And the fact that he does kind of need to force it out of necessity at times that maybe he just tries to do too much because of, of that role. Um, the tricky thing for him is just his off the catch shooting numbers are bad. He's, he's not a good shooter from the outside. And if he struggles to get into the paint at will in the NBA, or if he's on a team where his role is not to have the ball in his hands, it's going to get really tricky. And I even went back and looked at this off the catch numbers at Oklahoma and they were pretty poor there too. So if he isn't in a role where he's on the ball, it's going to get dicey pretty fast. His shot diet is something I want to talk about because you mentioned the paint touches and 41.7% of his shots come around the basket and not post-ups and he's in the 91st percentile. That's an absurd number, especially for a point guard, but of his jump shots, 67 and a half percent of them are three pointers and he's in the 28th percentile of that. So Given the disparity in that against NBA level defenders, against NBA level athletes, Steven, do you think he can still experience that same success attacking the rim or are NBA defenses just going to be like, go ahead, shoot it. I don't care. I'm going to give you this massive cushion. I'm not letting you get to the rim. And if you punish me from three once a month, so be it. I think kind of the the latter there, you know, Tyler, I think that one, it's, it's again, I'll keep saying it because it, I, I really mean it. It's really hard for a rookie to come in and just be like, all right, we're going to run the offense through you on this Williams. Right. So, and you have to have to earn your minutes with your coach and they're not going to be as forgiving as your, as your college coaches. Right. So, I mean, Wake Forest is a team of, of transplants pretty much like the, a lot of their guys are transfers and they had to make best with what they had. I think that, you know, Maxwell spoke to the decision-making sometimes it is because there's not really a lot around him, but I've definitely seen him like acknowledge that there's a guy on the low post who's open <laughs> and has a pretty good chance of finishing and saying, no, I want to throw it completely across the floor to another guy and it get picked off. But I've also seen him make that same read and it looks so freaking beautiful. Right. So maybe there's a coach out there that says, you know, I want him on the team because I can get these, I can get the bad habits King, you know, run out and if he can if he can develop a shot you know we got an offensive threat defensively I, I don't know like I, I think that he'll, he's okay it's it's nothing necessarily to write home about I don't think that he's a net negative he won't be the worst defender in the NBA I don't think or anything like that but the the inefficiency on the shot that that's a real thing but it's also really hard to s- look at a guy who can get to the basket at will at, at any level and be like there's nothing that we can do for you. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be something that, that a team can use with him. And projecting his shot is really difficult because uh, a really strong indicator is typically free throw percentage. And over the last three seasons, it's gone from 63 and a half percent to 84% and then down to 70 and a half percent. Um, and the 70% is on the highest volume. So, you know, that makes me think it's closer to that. And then on the runner, he's in the 61st percentile, but doesn't take a ton of them because he always just gets to the rim. So that combined with the fact that he's never shot over 30% in the last three seasons from three makes it really tough for me to be like, ah, he'll develop a shot. And, you know, we, we always say that about so many players that, oh, if they only develop a shot, if they only develop a shot, they'll yeah. be, they'll be great. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to do. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of time and you have to be given the opportunity to do that. So Maxwell, if, if he can't do that, I'm not trying to bag on the guy, but yeah. what is he in the NBA? Uh, I, that, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Cause he might, he might, again, like he might not be in the NBA if, if he can't, get that sorted out i will say though the one thing i am open to with him is that normally if a guy was like this deep into his college career and this is what their shooting looked like i'd be pretty willing to write them off which is the overall leap in production that we've seen from him this year kind of makes me think like maybe he's just a late bloomer like maybe this is just going to come around and he's just putting it all together and coming into his coordination later on in life because like that that happens with some people um so because of that like i'm i'm still kind of open to it and 
it's not to the same degree as like with Keegan Murray, where like Keegan Murray is just doing like all the stuff he didn't do before as soon as he got a bigger role and like has clearly just taken his game to another level. Um, I, I think there's maybe a bit of that with Alondes, where like I'm I'm not totally sold on him not eventually being like an okay three point shooter. Cause I think even if a guy like that, I think a lot, one thing that we overstate a lot of the times just as a basketball community is like, this guy's got to hit 36% from three. A lot of times that number is like lower than you think. Like a guy like Kyle Kuzma is fantastic this year. And like his three point percentage is way below league average. Like not everybody needs to shoot as crazy as it sounds. Um, I think even if he's like a slightly below average three point shooter, he, he can be okay. Um, and I, I think that's possible just based on this late growth. I, I think pointing out his late growth is really important. And, you know, I talked about the three point percentage, but that, that, that kind of is a little skewed because last season he only shot one, one, three a game and hit 16% of them this year is 4.2 attempts per game. And that jumped to 29%. So that, that leap in production, you know, it, it's there. Um, and like you said, being a 36% three-point shooter is really good. Like that's Mm -hmm. still really good and really valuable. If he can just get to 34% and then just make his defender hesitate for a second and just think like, wait, do I need to close out on him? Do I not? And then in that split second, I think that's where Alondis can kind of find those, those lanes to attack the rim or find a teammate because of his passing vision, um, despite the inconsistency with his decision-making. But could we potentially see like a, uh, like a modern day similar to like an Andre Miller with him. Cause Andre Miller wasn't necessarily like the best shooter either, but you know, good size for his position, good strength for his position, obviously a, a, a fantastic playmaker. I think that he was much more judicious with his decision-making, you know, as a player, but kind of yeah. similar to that. Could we see a potential, you know, Alondas, you know, Williams being the, the next point guard to take people, to the post and just and hurt and hurt the other team's point guard in the paint and, and set and set the other t- and set his other teammates up. I I, I don't hate that, um, but lo- like you mentioned, it's the decision making and the mm-hmm. consistency with that. Maybe if he's put in a lesser role and given you know clear instructions of basically how they want him to play and to be used, then maybe that decision making really improves because he's not the focal point. He's not the guy who has to generate everything for that offense and you know the the i'm really glad that you pointed out the post-up stuff i i know guards don't go to the post a lot but it is a legit skill and with his size his physicality he's in the 89th percentile um in scoring down there so it's a legit tool and then he also has the ability to kind of create from that post for other people for cutters and shooters so i i think miller's an interesting and not not too far off comp Maxwell where where are you at with that I I could see it I I think like mentioning the post-ups too something I've been thinking about a lot recently is with teams having more shooting at unconventional positions like is being a guard who can post up going to become like an undervalued micro skill of sorts like if you can have everybody else spread the floor like is it going to be valuable and like Villanova does a ton of it this year Mm -hmm. with like their guards posting up like could that be something we start to see NBA teams see? Like I it wouldn't shock me. Like we saw a lot of it in the mid two thousands with guys like Dwayne Wade. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think Andre Miller would be like an idealized situation. I, and obviously like you said, you know, not, not, it's not, you know, much more judicious with his decision-making was Miller. Um, I, yeah, I, I really think he needs to reel it in. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to developmental opportunity and team fit. And it's still kind of tricky to find that team fit because it's going to need to be a team that is okay handing him the reins as a playmaker, but also has a lot of shooting. And it just doesn't feel like a lot of teams like that exist that would also like that have a ton of shooting and also need to turn the ball over to a rookie. And we're not necessarily ageist, you know, at no ceilings, right? But we, we, but we understand, right, that. NBA front offices typically are and like how comfortable are those teams going to be with putting what is he like 23 I think or uh something like that he's, he's close so. to he's close to if not 23 so our team's going to be like yeah let's invest in a 23 year old developmental guy whose best role might be a little unconventional you know at, at this level like that 
that might be where teams have a little bit of issue with, with taking him. Absolutely. Uh, well, fellas, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Thrilled to have you guys on board. But as we end every episode, uh, Stephen, what's the best thing in the basketball world you saw recently? I'm going to cheat and be a little cheesy and just say being a part of no ceilings, man. Like this past week has been a whirlwind. Um, you know, I read Maxwell's piece, you know, kind of bidding his, you know, Substack community uh, farewell. It was it was awesome just reading that and just being able knowing Maxwell the way I do, just like being able to read the joy. Right. Like it, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, but if I have to stick to like a like a pure basketball, take like Jason Tatum going nuts against Brooklyn was was freaking fantastic. I've I've been a big Jason Tatum guy for for a while now. So um, him just going nuts against against the Nets was was awesome. Maxwell, how about you? Yeah, I'm gonna say the uh, the Furman versus Chattanooga game. Just real sicko behavior, trying to get some Jalen Slauson <laughs> oh, film on. Uh, it was unreal. So at the end of the game, uh, Chattanooga's like fourth best player just like. Uh, I think Furman either took the lead. Yeah, I think they took the lead by a little bit. And Chattanooga's like fourth best player just dribbled the ball at the court and launched a three with like four hands in his face and made it to send him to the tournament. And this is March, baby. Like it's <laughs> that like for me, it was like, all right, Let's it's go. tournament time. I'm watching Chattanooga. Like this is this is what March is all about. It just got me fired up for the tournament. Uh, so that that was honestly the game more than anything else was Furman versus Chattanooga. And shout out to Max Chrissy at the half coming in for Michigan State, putting up 10 points in the opening. I, I hope that by the time that this show ends and I go back and look at it, he doesn't make me look like an idiot and like <laughs> only scores 10 points you know, for the whole game. But mm. it looked like he was having a good outing against Maryland in the opening half. Well, Stephen, please plug away. Tell the people where they can find you, where they can support you. Well, you can find me at No Ceilings now, which is awesome to say. Um, at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. You can find me personally on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. You're also going to be able to find me very soon on the Draft Deeper podcast where I will be the new co-host to Nathan Grubel. Uh, I'm excited about that. You can find the the clips that I do for No Ceilings all over the No Ceilings account. And I have it in the works that some written work is going to be started to help expand You know how much content folks are going to be getting from no ceilings um, through different times of the week. So I'm really excited about that. So just stay tuned. No ceiling. What is what, Excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't know this off the top of my head. Um, Metcalf, can you plug the, the, the no ceilings uh, website? No ceilings, NBA.com. We're, we're, we're um, going to have a talk offline about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, sorry. Not like, showing. <laughs> hey man, I, I'm excited. It's I'll, 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 I'll chalk this up to jitters. <laughs> M- Maxwell, how can the people support you? Yeah, I'm also uh, all all my work is going to be at noceilingsnba.com going forward. Uh, please subscribe uh, to the No Ceiling Substack. You get really great work there every day. Like I honestly, even before I was here, I was reading the No Ceilings work every day. It's phenomenal. Um, and then my uh, Twitter is at boundboards. It's B A U M, and then the word boards, like draft boards. Uh, or boards for rebounding because I'm a sucker for positional rebounding. So uh, at boundboards on Twitter is where you can find uh, my draft stuff. Well, once again, I am Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And please make sure to subscribe to No Ceilings at noceilingsnba.com, where you can find all of our written work for free. Uh, We put out something five days a week, I believe soon to be six. So it's almost too much free content for you. It gets delivered directly to your inbox, so there's no excuse not to sign up. Uh, please also make sure to follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.